Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. With two ways to win and no rate. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circa Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. I'm joined as always by G.K. Wiley and Armani Buckets. We're going old school today, just the uh, three of us. How are we doing here? You know, I, I, everybody can probably hear it in my voice. I am beat. I'm not going to lie. AVP took it out of me. So, um, But other than that, it is a wonderful Monday. How about you, Armand? I decided to do a long bike ride for the first time in probably like six months. I bike often, but this one was like, this one took a toll on me. Like my body, I'm feeling... Um, I know you guys don't want to hear this, but I'm feeling the close to 30 stage of my life. And uh, it's, oh, it's, my gosh. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. You are, you are going to get no sympathy <laughs> from this crew, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all downhill from here, oh, buddy. Oh, God. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It was definitely a fun uh, weekend. We had the uh, volleyball tournament. We had Dodgers baseball. We had preseason football at SoFi. So with all that said, let's get to today's headlines brought to you by Circus Sports. Circus Millions and Circus Survivor Pro Football Contests are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Visit CircusSports.com for details. Hit it, Jihei. <laughs> Another day. Kevin Durant, shocker, shocker, Shams um, of The Athletic reported Monday that the Memphis Grizzlies made new inquiries to the Nets. And while they do not appear inclined, appear, sorry, inclined to include Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain in the offer, they are hopeful that five available first round draft picks can entice Brooklyn. In other net news, The Athletic also reported that the Nets do not plan on trading Kyrie Irving. Do you think Durant and Irving are with the Nets to start this season, guys? And how will this affect the Lakers' hopes of improving their roster? Well, listen, like anytime you hear about the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie and partly KD, uh, you as a Lakers fan are wondering what is the domino effect? Again, a lot of the uh, movement here has been held up by the fact that KD has not been moved. So if KD does get moved, how inclined would the Brooklyn Nets be to ship out Kyrie? According to The Athletic, they are not. They they, they do want to keep Kyrie. So we'll see how that shapes out. With Memphis, I mean, you're talking about five first-round picks. I mean, that being said, if you're a small market like Memphis, I don't think anyone not named John Moran can be, like, off the table. I mean, I'm really shocked that they got two players that they're not going to... Again, we're talking about a guy who I believe, if not the best, if not number two, I mean, certainly not even a question, top five player in the league, 
four years. This is the really big thing. If you're Memphis, the biggest part of this is that he is on. He he is contracted for the next four years. Generally speaking, when you have a player of that caliber, top ten, top fifteen, top twenty, they're normally going into a contract season. If you're a small market team like Memphis, and you can get one of the top five players in the world with four years left on his deal. There's no player, and again, I'm not going to touch Ja Morant because the idea here is to pair Ja with KD. But I mean, the fact that, you know, we're not parting with Tesman Bain, we're not parting with Chichurin. We're talking about KD. We're talking about Kevin Durant. And if you put Kevin Durant on Memphis Grizzlies, all of a sudden, buckets, I'm talking about them as perhaps the championship favorites next season. This was the team that I was very um, adamant that they were going to be involved early on. And the reason was because they have their assets, they have all their picks. There are not many teams besides Memphis and Toronto that can say that we have all of our picks to trade. Now, I think that when a team gets involved in trade negotiations, the beginning of it is always about leverage. And them saying that they're not going to trade Bain and Jackson, I don't believe that for a second. I believe that it's a leverage play so that when they do include one of the two, they go, oh, look, we improved our offer. But realistically, you're not getting Kevin Durant without starting with one of those two, plus all probably all of your picks. The interesting player for Memphis is going to be Zaire Williams. I think he's going to be the one that if they do get seriously involved, they're going to hype him up because he has star upside. And in his rookie season, he showed that star upside, a 6'9 wing, exactly where the league is headed. But the interesting part of this whole article to me, two things. First of all, Shams brought up the point that Jimmy Butler and James Harden, they both went into their seasons with disgruntled situations in Houston and in Minnesota, and eventually they got traded less than a month into the season. Why does that matter? Well, we're probably looking at the same situation with Durant and Kyrie. And not only that, he mentioned this at the end of the article, and I, I thought that this was hilarious. Ben Simmons has been cleared for three-on-three basketball activities following back surgery in May, and he is on track to be cleared for full five-on-five activities in the coming weeks. Are you telling me that Ben Simmons has somehow not been fully cleared yet? He was supposed to play in game four of the first round series, and we're literally like four or five months later, and they're saying that he is supposed to be cleared. This whole Brooklyn situation is a freaking mess. Yeah, I'll be- and also that Ben Simmons report, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Like, I mean, like you said, Armand, he was he was supposed to be cleared to for the playoffs. And and then we're seeing now we're seeing this report. I mean, come on, guys, this is a joke, right? Like this is this is a joke. I mean, I, I don't really blame Durant or Irving for wanting out now of this organization because it's like it's very up in the air, flip floppy kind of you know a, a thing. So if this happens and they and I I don't think it will. I think that I don't think anybody really even even if these reports are true and coming out um, for Memphis, I I still say that they're going to be in a Brooklyn jersey um, come season. I, I don't know. I just uh, this is a joke. This is a joke. Um, not speaking. And real, real quick, yeah. Jihei, real quick, because and this is not part of the question. What do we think about the Donovan Mitchell situation? Because it does seem like the New York Knicks. I mean, by the way, the fact that 
we have two teams right now, and these trades have not happened, talking about trading five first-round picks. So the Knicks apparently are are trying to put together some kind of a package, including multiple players and five first-round picks for Donovan Mitchell. Again, the, the Jazz going in total rebuild mode. Your thoughts on that? I mean, five first-round picks. I mean, it, it, again, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, right? I mean... I guess if I were the Nets, I would I would love that, right? I mean, but again, like I said, I think you're maybe using that a little bit as leverage of like, hey, we might have this, but I, I just again, I'll believe it when I see it. No, this is this is real quick. This is the Knicks. We're talking about oh, the, the Knicks, other not team the Knicks. Okay, okay. So the Knicks, the Knicks are trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell of the Utah Jazz. Danny Ainge wants. I don't know why Danny Ainge wants seven first round picks. I mean, five first round picks is such a massive number so uh, you know a couple of players five first round picks so buckets if you're the utah jazz and you're in total rebuild mode and by the way the knicks generally speaking historically speaking those first round picks should be high picks five first round picks there. yeah the the important line in the article by shams is this one mitchell has three guaranteed years left on his contract allowing the jazz to bring him into the upcoming campaign and take a patient approach to trade discussions so we talked about how september 26th the start of training camp how we think that deals are going to get done in the month of september but it sounds like with the mitchell deal and with the durant and irving deals that these teams are just going to be patient and go into the season potentially with these guys on their roster which sucks because yeah, we are yeah. all so sick of these rumors, and it sounds like the, the other important thing to mention with this is the five first-round picks. I think the holdup is that New York wants to make two of those five unprotected, and I'm assuming that the Jazz, I think the Jazz are fine with the number being five, but I think that they want more of them to be unprotected. That's what I take away from, from what Shams wrote. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. <sighs> <laughs> this whole trade is crazy. Um, anyways, speaking of crazy, the Dodgers won their ninth consecutive home game, beating the Marlins. And beating is like an understatement, by the way. Um, whooping the Marlins ten to three as Cody Bellinger <laughs> and Max Muncy hit home runs, and Will Smith uh, drove in three runs for the Dodgers. The Dodgers have a massive eighteen game lead in the division and a seven game lead for the best record in baseball. Is this the best Dodgers team you guys have ever seen? You know, it's it's the best team since the 2017 team, and I know that team lost to Houston, but we all know why they lost to Houston. If Houston wasn't cheating, the Dodgers win the World Series that year. Prior to this Dodgers team, that was the best team that, that I had seen in terms of going on a crazy run, winning streaks, big leads in the division. You know, the big thing for this team in comparison to last year is not having to fight and claw for every single win. A last year's team, as talented as that team was, really played like every game as if it was a postseason game, went until the last game of the year, really tried hard to win the division and lost the division on the last day of the season. The San Francisco Giants won the division. They had to go into a do-or-die a play-in game against St. Louis, one in walk-off fashion. Then they had to go into a just a grueling five-game series with San Francisco that went into game five against San Francisco. By the time they got to the Braves in the championship series, they, they were spent. They were absolutely spent. When I was in Atlanta for um, 
I think game six of that series when they finally lost. I mean, that that, that team was spent. They, they really didn't have anything left. The big thing here is they can kind of just coast effectively. They haven't. They've played extremely well, as you mentioned, GK, winning 10-3. So what you can do right now is have guys work their way back and get some confidence. You're getting Max Muncy back. You're getting Cody Bellinger back. Um, uh, and so now you can call up guys and, and really put together the roster that you think has the best chance for success without really worrying about if you lose a game here or there. Again, 16-game division lead, 6-7 game lead for the best record in baseball. You can have some fun. So, uh, yes, this is the best team I've seen. I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to compare it to the 2017 team, but I like this team more. I'm just concerned, Arash, that, um, like you said last year um, in Atlanta, that they ran out of steam, right? So that's I think that's my only concern with how much they're winning right now. Um, I, Co- Cody is back. I, I'm I'm just going to say it. Bellinger's back. Um, I'm having a little bit more faith in him. Um, And he is looking like postseason Bellinger as opposed to just regular season Bellinger right now. So I'm loving it. Um, Love that Max Muncy is back hitting home runs or or dingers, as the kids would say. Um, I I love this team. And I I would compare it also to the 2017 uh, team because if that 2017 team uh, obviously didn't have <laughs> wasn't playing against some cheaters they would they would have won that World Series this wouldn't even be a debate this wouldn't even be a question we'd be talking about you know the multiple runs that that team is going to have um, I I think this is so to answer that question to answer the initial question I don't think that this team is the best one I think that that 2017 team is the best one but um, again I'm just worried about are they going to be able to maintain this because I just don't want them to run out of gas like last year and, you know, have to trade up. And I'm, again, still worried about uh, their closers and being able to to finish out games and stuff like that in the playoffs. Not right now, but in the playoffs. I'm with you right there, Jihei. I'm worried about running out of gas. And also, the reason why I'm going to say no is because we know what the postseason baseball is all about. It's about close games and it's about being able to close out teams. And this team, the biggest weakness, maybe the only weakness of this team right now, is the closer position. And until they get that figured out, I can't say it's the best Dodger team that I've ever seen. And on top of that, I think that as well as Tony Gonsolin and Anderson have pitched this season, they haven't really had this kind of track record, which again scares me. Because yes, as of now, maybe they are the best Dodger team we've ever seen. But projecting into the postseason, I'm a little bit scared, especially when, you know, shout out to Brandon Deutsch and Jake Dicker. They talk about the Mets and the Braves a lot. And those teams, you know, they have the arms for the postseason. And that's not to say that the Dodgers can't win the World Series. Of course, they they should be considered the favorites, at least in the National League. But yeah, I, I get really scared when we talk about the name that shall not be mentioned, Craig Craig Kimbrell. (laughs) Real quick, it is amazing that during this incredible run that the Dodgers have had over the past 10 years, I mean, the closer position is one thing they have not been able to fix. I mean, you would think a team with this kind of a payroll would find a way just to pay whatever amount. Again, it's not like that they haven't tried. They have tried over the years to make trades. Again, Craig Kimbrell was a trade. They they, they thought, okay, let's, let's bring in Craig Kimbrell. 
for whatever reason, whether it's Ken Kenley Jansen, and I love Kenley Jansen, but again, we know the problems that he's had. They have never had a closer that Dodgers fans have not been concerned about again during this entire run to the World Series and all their division championships and all that. They've never found that consistent closer. I mean, if they had a Mariano Rivera type of a player, this team would have won three championships by now. But yep, yeah, that's that's just what it is. And now they're stuck with Craig Kimbrell for the at least for the foreseeable future, unless they can get someone else here. So we didn't know each other back when Kenley was the closer, but from the outside looking in, Kenley always struck fear in me as a fan of an opposing team. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you you guys you guys had nerves when Kenley would come into the game, or oh yeah, no, I mean listen, I mean I think it's pretty well documented that during the postseason, for whatever reason, and this is a little bit like Clayton Kershaw, where like during the course of the season, he's a fantastic pitcher and a fantastic closer but even the year where they won the World Series I mean you go to one of the wackiest craziest finishes in World Series history how Kenley Jansen comes in and blows that save and then when the Dodgers finally won the World Series it wasn't Kenley Jansen closing the game it was Julio Urias closing the game and so I remember when GA and I got on the air for the first time October of 2020 like, my first hot take is I never want to see Kenley Jansen close another game for the Dodgers. So, I mean, and this has been happening for quite some time. You go to 2017 when he's trying to cl- close out. I believe it was game two. Couldn't do that. And, and again, he's he, he was a fan favorite, homegrown product, fantastic player, generally speaking. But in the postseason, for whatever reason could not get the job done yeah no i i remember in it when we first started doing the show in in 2020 we both were in agreement with what what is wrong with the dodger organization and why are they consistently allowing him to close so that that was always on the floor for debate uh there and I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the Dodgers organization, but there was there was a lot of doubt, um, especially when it came to Kenley Jansen um, on the mound. Um, moving forward, guys, to football. The Cowboys beat the Chargers and the Texans beat the Rams over the weekend. We only have a few minutes left. As SoFi Stadium hosted back-to-back preseason games, what do you think of the Texas two-step at SoFi? And is there any cause for concern for the Rams or Chargers? No, listen, I mean, obviously the crazy, not crazy thing about the preseason, but the thing that we know about the preseason is this, is that the Rams and the Chargers will not play their, their best players. So no Matthew Stafford, no Justin Herbert, no first-string guys playing for both teams. The, the thing that made the most news, uh, Jihei and Buckets, I had a b- bit of a viral tweet, I guess. Uh, the scoreboard, the massive 120-yard uh, scoreboard at SoFi Stadium was not working for the Chargers-Cowboys game. It finally popped on midway through the third quarter, but a lot of people began to kind of joke about the Chargers having to pay rent and that this would not happen at- with the Rams, I mean, they, they would find a way to get these scoreboard to work. So, uh, you know, really not focus on the game itself. I, I had a fantastic time, but, you know, can't really judge the Rams and the Chargers when these starters uh, don't play. But yeah, the, the, the fact that the, uh, the, uh, the board, the video board at SoFi Stadium was not working for the Chargers game, that was the biggest cause for concern. I would, I would totally agree with you, Arash. There is no need to concern at all, good or bad, no matter what happens in the preseason, there's never any need to overreact. But I will say the Buffalo Bills continue to look very good and yeah. week one is coming very fast and we know 
that that team is going to try to send a statement to the rest of the league on opening night. And I really, I get a little bit, I know it's only one game, but I do get a little bit concerned with the Rams going into into week one's matchup against Buffalo, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be a fantastic first game for Thursday night football. Um, yeah, but GA, no no real concern, right? I mean, you, 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 you haven't seen Matthew Stafford. You haven't seen Herbert. I mean, I'm not worried about the performance of guys who really won't be playing too much. Yeah, absolutely no concern for the Rams. Um, I'm just looking forward to, like, you know, some of their new draft picks and their, um, you know, kids that are developing right now um, for them. The more rest for these guys, the better. They know what they're doing. Um, and we've seen it time and time again with Sean McVay um, not starting his starters. So, again, no concern. Um, looking forward to um, game one, though. That's going to be incredible. I'm, I'm so happy that football's back. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic uh, first weekend here. Again, the first game of the season. Thursday night football. Rams unveiling the banners there at SoFi Stadium. And then you go into the Chargers game on Sunday against the Raiders. All right, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, I have a very special surprise for you guys. I won't tell you what it is, but you'll have to come back to here when we return right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the fan in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sport Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with 12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports with two ways to win and no rate. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circa Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with 12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network 95.1 and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or just want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline 310-400-0340. All right, let's go out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline right now. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor Pro Football Contest with $12 million in guaranteed prizes are back Visit CircusSports.com for details. And again, normally right now we would have a special guest on the hotline, but I was doing some homework. I was doing some research, and I was able to come across the very last press conference Vin Scully had. This was at Dodger Stadium, September of 2016. And again, you know, Vin was uh, fantastic with the media. He was one of us. I mean, although we put him in such high regard uh, but he took the moment because again we all wanted to talk with him we all wanted to do a story on them so instead of having him do a thousand of these he got in front of all the media and he conducted a press conference and i was there and i recorded it and i thought it would re- be really cool if you guys got a chance to hear it for yourselves and just hearing his voice is fantastic and hearing him tell stories is fantastic so um 
without any further ado, I do want to uh, pr present you guys with uh, Vin Scully addressing the media for the very last time as the Dodgers play-by-play -play broadcaster. And here he is from Dodger Stadium back in 2016. First of all, thank you very much for coming. I uh, sincerely appreciate it. Kind of a, you got a lot of work to do, so uh, it's kind of nice to have you here, and I do appreciate it. And if there's anything I can say that comes in handy, uh, just ask, and <laughs> I'll do, I'll do whatever. I'll try. So, uh, anyone want to start? Yes, sir. Thanks to speak up really loud. The microphone should pick up the question, but we need you to talk loud. Thank you. Yes, sir. Vinny, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for all the wonderful memories. Uh, I was a 10-year-old kid when the Dodgers came to the Coliseum. Give me your first impressions. You came from Brooklyn. It had to be a shock, the Coliseum. And when do you think the transistor became such a wonderful tool for you to become such a popular broadcaster so quickly in Los Angeles? When we first arrived here, I think it struck me that line about Gertrude Stein who said about Oakland, there's no there there. Uh, I mean that because in New York there were certain restaurants where everybody gathered like uh, Toot Shores, all the sports people were ever there and we knew where Times Square and, uh, and when we came out here uh, I remember I looked it up I think and Los Angeles County is like 480 square miles. So my first thought was, wow, we're, we're kind of in the wide open spaces. Where in New York, being an island in Manhattan, etc., cetera, uh, you felt closed in with the people. And the transistor radio, far and above, was the biggest break that we received. Uh, first of all, it brought us closer to the people in the ballpark. And after a while, I would test the crowd a little bit and I get responses that I couldn't believe because there were a lot of radios. Now, it was not a compliment to me. Let's really understand that. The reason they brought the transistor radios, they're in a football or track stadium. Many of them are sitting 70 rows up, far away from the playing field. And yes, in 1958, they knew about the superstars, they knew Willie Mays and Stan Musial and others, but the rank and file player, they had no idea who they were. So the reason they brought the radio, twofold. Number one, to learn about the players. And number two, to help them watch the game because they were so far away. And that's the truth. And for Jerry and me, that was the biggest break. And then after we started to feel at home, the engineers would com complain the feedback from all the radios and he really would have to work but once I knew that they were listening then I started talking to them uh, I, I made the worst pun in the entire world and the groan that came up from the audience uh, Joe Torrey was catching for Milwaukee and he took a foul ball off the hand and the next night he played third base and I said, isn't that interesting? If Joe never puts on the gear again, he will forever be known as Chicken Catcher Tory. And 40, 50,000, this groan, but it was a funny, they loved it, and, uh, and that began everything. The singing of happy birthday to the umpire, 
later here, they were still carrying them the first year or two here. And uh, one time the baseball rule was you had to come to a complete stop as the pitcher for one second. Well, we had a huge rhubarb here over that one second. Freddie Hutchinson, God rest his soul, was out there because they were all trying to cheat with Maury Wills. And uh, so there was a long pause while the argument. So then I started talking to the people. And I said, how, how long do you think a second is? And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll say A, and when you think a second has gone by, you say B. So I said A, and the crowd let out a B. Well, now I know I've got them, right? So I say, oh, no, that's terrible. That's, that's not even close. You're not paying attention. So now I have them do it again. And this time, they took, if there was a roof, right off of Dodger Stadium. And the phone rang in the booth. And it was Walter Alston. He said, would you mind telling me why everybody is hollering B? <laughs> so, so that was it. So the transistor was the all-time great break for Jerry and me, without a doubt. Yes, sir. Hey, Vin, how are you? I'm good. Vin, um, you've been able to make such a personal connection to the listeners announcing a game, and I know you've referenced transition <coughs> as being a conduit of that, but what I wanted to ask you is, what personal traits of yours and what personal philosophies of yours do you think really helped you make that connection become part of our lives in the summer? You know, what are the communication lessons from that? I think really if you had to scrape away everything, uh, I'm a very happy person and I love people. And the combination I think of, and I use the word personality, you'll understand what I mean, but when I go on the air, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy having met Marie in the elevator, happy to see James Mims at the front door of the press box, seeing all my pals, the writers. I mean, I was not kidding last night when I talked about the, the warmth that I get when I come here. Will I miss the games? Well, yeah, but I can turn on the radio or the TV. I could catch the games. The people, that's what I will miss. The people who have just made me feel so much at home. And I think I carry that right out onto the air. Is that yeah. what helped you go on for 67 years, your love of people? No. The only thing that helps me go on 67 years, as I said last night, is the grace of God. Let's face it. Well, and that's out of my hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've enjoyed every minute of it, believe me. Every minute. Yes, sir. Mr. Scully, I've made the Vin. Vin. Please. I've made the trip all the way from Montreal to meet you. Ah, uh, La Belle Provence, Quebec. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have three quick questions for you, if you don't Sure. Mind. Uh, first of all, you've been to Montreal so many times in your career. What did you remember of Montreal? Oh, I loved it. I, I, I loved it. When we first went there, Jerry Park, that's what I really remember. That's where you saw and felt the people. Later, the Olympic Stadium was like so many others. Uh, the people are like people wallpaper. You know, you don't see them, the individual. Jerry Park was a marvelous experience. And among other things, in this small park, there was a man, I believe he was uh, in the medical business, I'm not sure, maybe he was a nurse, and uh, he had a whistle, and at the seventh inning they would play French music, and he would dance in the aisles, and the crowd would just, all of a sudden, it was almost like being in Paris. I loved it. We, lo we all loved Mar Montreal, oh yes. Remember, it was a big farm club for the Dodgers, so they had a great future and a great past in Montreal. 
1993, you lost one of your best friend, uh, Don Drysdale. Get us through that day. Well, remember Don had been very well known up there, and the fact that he wasn't on the team bus uh, didn't mean much. I figured he's being interviewed or somewhere. And get to the ballpark and he's not there, but again, he could have been almost anywhere. Uh, however, by the time we were going on the air, I, I was a little edgy. Uh, I wasn't sure if there was anything wrong, but I hadn't seen him. And I remember in Montreal, in the booth, the whole wall behind me was glass. And then there was the restaurant, the press room. And uh, I'm really worrying now, as like first inning, second inning, because the schedule was Don would work the middle three innings, I'd go to radio, and then I would come back and finish the game on TV. And I also knew his mom and dad, his wife, they were accustomed, if not tuning in for me, they were certainly tuning in to hear Don. And uh, so now I'm worrying, what's going to happen if he doesn't show, he doesn't show. And uh, it's now about coming up on the third inning, and I, now I'm really worrying. And Billy Delury, who was then our traveling secretary, God rest his soul, uh, Billy came into the booth, and his eyes were like this. And I looked, and he said, he's dead. Well, you can imagine the shock. Um, I think we went into commercial, and he told me a little bit about how Don passed in the, in the room. Now I'm thinking, I can't just say, uh, by the way, we're going to the fourth inning and Don Drysdale has passed away. I mean, it was awful. So I had to continue doing the game while they tried to find his wife, Ann, who was with his daughter. It was a birthday, I think, of his daughter, Kelly. And uh, so they were out buying a birthday cake. So I had to keep doing the game. And it was the heaviest, most difficult job I've ever had. And then finally, I think Billy came in and said, they found Ann. And uh, what happened was she came back with the daughter and Ann's mother was the one who said Don passed. So uh, I'll never forget that. that, that was, the most difficult assignment and now I have to announce it now I have to say uh, this has happened so uh, although I have a lot of wonderful feelings about Montreal uh, there's also that really heavy dark cloud because of that yes sir I'd like to ask you two quick questions sure first of all I think we all want to know how do you feel with this all coming to an end? This wonderful career, we've all watched you, listened to you. It's coming to an end. How do you feel? Well, I think I, I, I hope I, I summed it up last night. I mean, all I feel is Thanksgiving. I mean, the Lord has blessed me. He gave me this job at such a youthful age and allowed me to live and do it 67 years. What am I going to say? Darn it, why didn't I get number 68 or anything like that? No, I am totally at ease. Uh, I am so thankful, grateful. Uh, I owe the Dodgers, I owe Lon Rosen, uh, Eric Braverman, Greg Taylor, all the guys who put together last night. I mean, last night, you've heard about being on Mount Olympus. I think I was five feet above that. I've never experienced anything. It was a, such a joyous occasion. And you know, you cry a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, that's my feeling. I am happy and thrilled. Uh, I'm going to miss a lot of people whom I love, but, uh, you know, that's going to be life. And again, as I said last night, uh, we've been blessed. 
We have five great children, 16 grandchildren, three great grandchildren. So if I don't have anything to do, one of them will come up with something, you know. Yes, sir. Oh. If you can be, take a step back, what is it that your, your, your talent, if you can critique yourself, obviously you talk about being happy, but as far as your personal talent, your approach to doing the game, what, what gave you this, what talent did you have, what was your philosophy that allowed you to become, arguably, I think most people would say, the best baseball announcer ever? Well, I never thought that way, number one, yeah. really. I don't mean false humility. Uh, you don't go through life thinking, you know, I'm really good. <laughs> Gol golly. Uh, no, uh, just thankful that I, when, the, when the Brooklyn Dodgers were leaving to go to Los Angeles, uh, it was a complicated feeling. Uh, first of all, I was sad. I was leaving all my roots, my mother, father, family, best friends, college, at all. But I had the job. So that was a tremendous relief to come out here and work. Believe it or not, I, I mean, I really just don't think about that kind of thing. It's not really a part of me. And people say, how would you like to be remembered? And I think, I'd like to be remembered as a good, honest man, uh, a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather. I'm not even thinking about sports announcing, no. So uh, I guess I just don't think about it, really. Really? Yes, sir. Hi, yes. Ben. Hi. Uh, congratulations and thank you. Um, oh, thank my you. question is about Red Barber. You've often said he was like a father figure to yes. you. I'm curious if he ever gave you advice when he retired in 66 about life after baseball. And if he was alive today, what would he say to you and what would you say to him? Well, as a father, and he was a father, uh, he cared. That was the biggest thing. I wasn't, first of all, he's the one who brought me into the booth. And he was the one, like a father, I'm going to make my son a better man. And uh, we had a marvelous chemistry in the booth. We had Red Barber, who was the role of the father. We had Connie Desmond, who was the older brother. And then we would have me as the kid. And uh, they would support me on either side of me a lot of times. And uh, Red being the father was a stickler. I remember uh, early in my career and early in his, I was doing a game. And I talked about Willie Mays, and I said, uh, gosh, Willie Mays, he's, he's the best player I've ever seen. Well, when that game ended, Red said to me, young Scully, which is what he would call me when he was a little irritated. He said, you haven't been around long enough to talk about the best player you've ever seen. And that's what he did. I mean, I had to walk that high wire. And then we would leave, Connie would put his arm around me and say, oh, it's okay, kid, come on, let's go get a beer, you know. Uh, so it was a marvelous, marvelous uh, chemistry, yeah. Yes? First of all, thank you for the joy you brought us. Oh, I wanted to get your sense on this year's Dodgers, what do you think their chances are of winning the championship, and if they do go to the series for the first time in 28 years, and you're not part of it, how painful will that be for you? Oh, it won't be painful at all. I mean, the fact that uh, I'm not involved will not be painful at all. I'll be thrilled for them. Uh, I, I just love Dave Roberts and his people, and I like Dave's approach to the game. The players have always been uh, accommodating and happy. One of the greatest moments in our, and I mean my wife and myself, in our lifetime last night when all the hoopla was over and we were walking back towards the dugout, 
and Lon, although I didn't know it at the time, I should have realized that the players were lined up, one on each side. And as we walked down, I turned to my wife and I said, it feels like we're getting married again. <laughs> you know, it really, it was a charming moment. So, uh, no, I have nothing but uh, hopes and happiness for them. Uh, I can just go back and don't have to worry about being impartial. Uh, I can sit back and root like everybody else. Yes, sure, I, I don't know how to pick. Maybe we should have somebody pick. Generation now where fantasy football and fantasy sports is really popular and video games is really popular. And you speak so fondly about being a little boy and just enjoying childhood. Do you have a message for younger people now to get them more involved in the game of baseball and just going out to a ballpark and playing? I, I do think, and I, I watch with my grandchildren, uh, I really think unless the parents keep an eye on the child, the child will not be a child very long. There are too many things out there, including the computer, um, that can make a child go in the wrong direction or at least leave that wonderful time in your life. Uh, I love looking at the little kids in the ballpark. I really do. Um, they're just marvelous. And, but I know that they're not going to be that way very long. So I, I think the best parents can do is try to channel those kids and keep them children because the world's going to age them so rapidly. I grew up in the streets of New York. Uh, we didn't have ballparks. We didn't have Little League. Uh, we used a broom handle and a tennis ball. And uh, we would use the sewer covers as bases. And I was too sewer scully, by the way. Uh, but anyway, we, and it was so simple. Uh, and there were no drugs. There was nothing but kids swinging a, a broom handle hitting a, a ball. And there was, there was, I remember that the police would come because someone would worry that we're going to hit the ball and break a window, one of those things. And we would run like we had done something terrible. And we always dropped the broom handle and we'd go down cellars and disappear. And the police would pick up the broom handle and they'd walk over and they'd put it halfway down the sewer and then break it so that we couldn't use it. And now, with everything that's going on in this world, wouldn't they give anything that the only thing they had to do is break a broom handle? Yeah, but that's the way the world is going. All right, that was Vin Scully uh, talking for the last time at Dodger Stadium. Uh, again, he addressed the media during a press conference at Dodger Stadium. It was a really cool moment to kind of hear Vin address the media in that way. Again, he didn't really do that. He he wasn't really comfortable having the, the attention and the spotlight, but it was really a, a, a cool moment to hear him talk about his time being the broadcaster of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, it's, it's one of those moments I'll remember. So I'm glad you guys got to hear it. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe, stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing. Currency chasing worldwide through the hard times. Worrying faces. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.